Today's podcast is sponsored by Indeed. You can trust Indeed as a hiring partner because they want the same thing that you do, finding quality candidates. So start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com Peter. Offer valid through March 31st. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Shopify. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving entrepreneurs like you the resources once reserved just for big businesses. And right now you can get a free 14-day trial and full access to Shopify's entire suite of features by going to shopify.com gold. I want to start off today's podcast by honoring the father of our country, General George Washington, who was born 290 years ago today in Virginia. Today is February 22nd, and that is the day that George Washington was born. And once upon a time in this country, we honored the father of our country and celebrated the anniversary of his birth on the day of his birth. But I forget when that changed, but at some point we decided to move the holiday to the third Monday in February, which would fall pretty close to Washington's actual birthday, but it would also allow Americans to have a three-day weekend because we want all of our federal holidays to fall on a Monday, or I guess they could fall on a Friday, but the key is to have three days where you don't have to go to work. So that's why we celebrated Washington's birthday yesterday, even though his actual birthday is today. Although unfortunately, most Americans didn't celebrate Washington's birthday at all because most people know the holiday as President's Day. Now, officially, it's actually still called Washington's birthday, even though practically nobody refers to the holiday as Washington's birthday, is President's Day. Now, I guess the reason it's President's Day is because Abraham Lincoln's birthday falls on February 12th. So both Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president, and George Washington, our first president, their birthdays are close together. And there were a lot of northern states that also celebrated Lincoln's birthday. Of course, they didn't really celebrate it down south. He wasn't exactly that popular down there, but he was far more popular in the north. And so by calling the holiday President's Day, it was a way to kind of honor both presidents on the same day, although I don't think any president should be put on the same pedestal as George Washington. I think it's very important that we hold George Washington high above all the rest to honor the great man that was George Washington. Because President's Day isn't even about Washington and Lincoln. Basically, it's about all the presidents that we've ever had. And we've had some very bad presidents, presidents that I don't want to honor the current occupier of the Oval Office, Joe Biden being a perfect example of somebody that I don't want honored on President's Day. I want to have an effort to reclaim the holiday and take President's Day away and replace it with Washington's birthday. Again, I think it was probably the malls, which is very fitting for the American culture. They were having a lot of sales, and so it was President's Day sales, and maybe that's where the name came from, but whatever happened, it stuck, 
And now everybody just talks about President's Day weekend and President's Day and lost in all this President's Day vacationing is the man behind it all, the man who gave birth to the American Republic, and that is George Washington. And a lot of people, you know, what's so special about George Washington? He was an incredible man. If you don't know a lot about George Washington, I would suggest that you read up on him. But we really owe our entire republic to George Washington. First of all, he led the Continental Army to victory over the British. Without George Washington, we may never have won the war for independence. But when the war ended, George Washington did something that is rarely done. He basically walked away. He was the head of the army and he surrendered all that power back to the people. He did not want to rule America. He just wanted to help America win her freedom from the British crown. And then he went back to civilian life. And in fact, there was a movement, a number of people wanted to make George Washington a king and establish the United States as a monarchy. It would have been a constitutional monarchy, but it would have been head by a king and not a president. But George Washington himself refused that honor. He did not want to be king of America. Now, I don't know if he would have been king, even if he wanted it, but the fact that he rejected it and he said, hey, I don't want to be king. We don't want America to be a monarchy. How many people would walk away from being the king of a new nation, especially in that day and age? It takes a very special man, and that man was George Washington. And in fact, he was the first president of the United States. Nobody ran against him. It was obvious that he would be the first president. And he served two terms, but then he set a precedent that no other president broke until Franklin Delano Roosevelt Following his second term, he resigned from office. He could have served the third term, but he did not want to. So he walked away from even the presidential power and he set a precedent that survived until FDR. And then when FDR broke it, it prompted a constitutional amendment to actually require presidents to do what George Washington did of his own volition. Now, I know there are a lot of people in today's politically correct version of America who don't want to honor George Washington because he happened to own slaves. Yes, he owned slaves. Like a lot of people in that day and age, slavery was the norm. Unfortunately, slavery was legal in all 13 colonies at that time. And just because George Washington owned slaves, you can't discredit all of the other accomplishments that the man made simply because he had slaves. And as a matter of fact, he acquired his first slaves through marriage. He didn't own any until he married into them. And during the course of his life, he did acquire some additional slaves. But as he got older, he actually started to become very disillusioned with the whole institution of slavery. And he was not a big proponent of slavery. In fact, he was very enlightened for his day in his aversion to the whole concept. And in fact, in his will, he set his slaves free. And a year after he died, his wife freed all of his slaves per his wishes. And also, George Washington, in his will, set aside money to take care of the freed slaves that were too young or too old or too infirmed to take care of themselves. And he ended up out of his estate making payments to slaves that he had freed for over 30 years following his death. So even in death, 
his greatness lived on, and we need to honor that because right now the only person that we really honor by name for a holiday is Martin Luther King. And not to take anything away from Martin Luther King, but he is not the greatest American to ever live. Maybe he's the greatest civil rights leader to ever live, but he's not the greatest American. And I don't want to honor Martin Luther King above George Washington. So if we're going to have a day to commemorate Martin Luther King, then we damn well better have a day to commemorate George Washington. And that's why I always refer to President's Day as Washington's birthday and everybody else should too. Now, moving from the greatest American president ever to probably one of the worst American presidents ever, the current president, Joe Biden, he had a press conference today. Again, I shouldn't really call it a press conference because it's theater. Biden assembles the press into a room. Of course, they're all risking spreading COVID, right? We're getting all these people into a small room, all these members of the press, and we bring in the president, Joe Biden, and he basically gives his prepared speech written by one of his speech writers. So he stares at a teleprompter into a room of reporters and reads off a speech. And then he leaves without so much as answering a single question. Now you have all the members of the press, Mr. President, Mr. President, everybody's trying to ask him a question, but he wants no part of that. He simply turns around and walks out the door. Now, if that was Biden's intention, Why call a press conference? Just stay in the Oval Office. No need to put on a big show. No need to have all these reporters assemble into a small room, whether they're masked or unmasked, vaccinated, unvaccinated, whatever. I mean, why take the extra risk? You're so worried about COVID. The whole thing is a show. He wants the voters to look at him standing in front of the press and not actually realize that he didn't take any questions from the press because that is the important part of a press conference. You see, if you don't actually conference with the press, it's not a press conference. It's a press statement. You got to do Q&A. I mean, the president is supposed to be there to take questions from the press because the press basically represent the people because not anybody can just walk off the street and be in that room, right? You have to have the credentials. You have to be a reporter, but the reporters are there to represent the people. And they're asking the questions that the people would ask if they could be in that room, but they're not there. And Biden is supposed to talk to the people's representatives in the press, but he didn't do it. So it's not a press conference. It is a speech. He should just give it from the Oval Office if that's his intention and stop trying to fool the voters into thinking that he is giving conferences when he's not. The question is, why doesn't he want to take questions? Well, obviously, it's a very complicated subject that he probably doesn't understand. And he would demonstrate that if he actually stood there and took questions that he has no idea how to answer. So the best way to not look stupid is to not say anything. And so that's why he left. But the press conference was to announce the beginning of new economic sanctions on Russia because obviously the Russia-Ukraine situation is escalating and so now we are retaliating with these economic sanctions on the government of Russia, on the ability of the Russian government to sell bonds into the Western markets and to transact in dollars. We want to cut off the Russian government's ability to effect payments in U.S. dollars, which is the primary reserve currency. So obviously, this is very problematic for Russia. President Biden also mentioned that there would be specific sanctions on Russian individuals, individuals that are part of Putin's inner circle. 
He just has yet to name those individuals, but they're going to be named in the days ahead. And obviously, this will be problematic for those individuals and their families when they are cut off from the U.S. dollar payment system. Now, first of all, this is one reason that countries like Russia want to wean themselves off of the U.S. dollar system. They don't want the dollar as the reserve currency. You know, China is looking on thinking, well, Russia is doing something that America doesn't want. They're getting sanctioned. What happens if we do something that America doesn't want? We get sanctioned. They pull the dollar out from under us. Let's get out from under the dollar on our own. Let's not leave this weapon in the hands of the U.S. that can be turned against us at any time. Because the reason the dollar is viable as a reserve currency is because countries like China warehouse dollars as a reserve asset and help prop up the value of the dollar. They accept U.S. dollars in exchange for the goods that they export. A lot of oil producing countries are pricing oil in U.S. dollars, but they may be afraid that they've given too much power to the U.S. government. Like Frankenstein, they created a monster that will one day turn against it. This scares a lot of the world into recognizing that they have entrusted the U.S. with a power that could be misused against them. And I think this type of situation is simply going to hasten the demise of the dollar status as the reserve currency. It would have happened anyway, but stuff like this just accelerates it because if you bite the hand that feeds you, well, there's a pretty good chance that at some point that hand is going to stop feeding you. And I think that's where we're headed. But one of the things about the Biden press conference is Joe Biden said, look, I got to be honest with the American public. These sanctions could hurt. They could result in higher oil prices. And in fact, oil hit a new high for the move today. We almost hit $95 a barrel. 94.95 was the high. We closed well off the highs at 91.61, only up about $1.40 on the day. But clearly the trend is up. We made a new high. We're going to take that new high out probably before the end of this week. But Biden acknowledged that, look, there's going to be some problems here that we're sanctioning the Russian economy, but it could have some implications for the U.S. economy. But then Biden reassured the public that he won't let that happen. Biden said that he's not going to let the sanctions that are aimed at hurting the Russian economy end up hurting the U.S. economy instead. Well, how can he do that? He can't, at least not honestly. He's going to pretend because obviously what Biden is going to do is he is going to take some action to try to mitigate the harm on consumers from higher energy prices, higher gasoline prices, higher heating oil prices, or however Americans access energy, they're going to be paying more for it as a result of these sanctions. Now, they were paying more anyway as a result of inflation, but they're going to pay even more because of the sanctions and all of the geopolitical turmoil around the world and how it's going to impact the supply of oil. But what Biden is saying he wants to do is insulate American consumers so that they don't have to pay those higher prices. Now, how do you do that? Well, one thing is they could do what I talked about on my last podcast and have this federal gas holiday where they at least temporarily remove the federal gas tax. But they may do other things to reduce the price of oil for Americans. But whatever the government does is going to increase the deficit because if the government finds a way to offset higher energy prices by giving Americans money, either by lowering the tax that they were imposing on gas or finding a way to send credits 
to American consumers that they could use to pay gas prices or maybe to reimburse the oil companies or the gasoline stations to sell their oil at a loss so that the American consumer doesn't have to feel the higher price. Whatever the U.S. government does, whatever scheme they come up with, and Biden certainly indicated that that's what they want to do. He said, we're going to make sure that Americans aren't going to pay higher gas prices. Well, if they do that, they're going to pay higher prices for everything else because the only way to pay for this offset is by creating inflation because what's going to happen is the government's going to find some way to offset these higher energy costs by reimbursing energy consumers but where is the money going to come from to cover the cost of those reimbursements well it's going to come from the fed they're going to run larger deficits the government is either going to collect less in taxes or it's going to spend more on credits or offsets so that the budget deficit ends up being larger than it otherwise would have been. And where's that money going to come from? Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Fed is now going to have larger budget deficits that it will be required to monetize. Now, if it doesn't monetize them, then it just puts extra upward pressure on interest rates. So Americans get cheaper gas, but now their mortgage goes up or their car loan or their student loan or some other cost goes up that is affected by higher interest rates. But if they don't have to go out and borrow the money because the Fed prints the money, well, then we have more inflation. So then the price of everything else goes up. So maybe they don't have to pay higher gas prices, but now the food prices are even higher than they otherwise would have been. The government has no ability to deliver anything. All they can do is rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. You're going to get nothing from government. Whatever they put into your right pocket is something they took from your left pocket. But here's the problem. When the government picks your pocket and then gives you back the money, you don't get it all because they keep some from themselves. My father always used to explain to me, government aid is like giving yourself a blood transfusion from your right arm to your left arm and you spill half the blood on the floor. So anything the government does to ease the pain of higher gas prices is going to end up inflicting even more pain someplace else. If you dream it, you can do it. If only those self-fulfilling prophecies worked for hiring your team. But when you partner with Indeed, building the right team becomes that much easier. In fact, if you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you every step of the way. They help you find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you'll get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for applicants that meet your must-have requirements. 
I really wish Indeed had been around when I first started my company. It would have made building my team that much easier. With Instant Match, over 90% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor their job post, according to Indeed data. So start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Peter. Offer valid through March 31st. So go to Indeed.com slash Peter to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash Peter. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, then you need Indeed. But one of the biggest ironies, too, about this whole Russia-Ukrainian situation is the biggest problem I think Russia has is the fact that there's talk of the Ukraine joining NATO, which obviously is not going to sit well with Russia to see the Ukraine become a member of NATO. Many other former Soviet Union countries are already in NATO, and Russia feels more and more threatened as more of her former allies become adversaries by joining the NATO alliance. After all, NATO was created specifically to counter the Soviet Union, and Russia was the center of the Soviet Union. Of course, the Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore. So why do we have NATO? What's the point The whole purpose of NATO no longer exists. We don't really need NATO to protect us from Russia. Russia is not the threat today that the Soviet Union was yesterday. It's not even close. NATO should have been disbanded when the Soviet Union crumbled. Why is it still here? Well, it's the same reason that all bureaucracies are still here. Remember Milton Friedman's old saying, there's nothing so permanent as a temporary government program. Well, maybe... NATO was a temporary union to fight off the Soviet Union. And so the Soviet Union is long dead, but NATO lives on. And it may live on forever, even though the very purpose of NATO really no longer exists. It's there to serve its own bureaucracy. You have all these bureaucrats from all over the world who have cushy jobs working at NATO. And I also think for a lot of countries in Europe, NATO is a great deal because they get to outsource the cost of their national defense to the United States. And so we end up paying to defend a lot of other nations that should be paying to defend themselves. So I think NATO, maybe it was a good idea at one time, but its time has passed. And I think if there was no NATO, if NATO just disintegrated, then we wouldn't even be having a problem between Russia and the Ukraine. This problem only exists because NATO exists, and there's no reason for NATO to exist. Of course, in addition to the oil markets, increasing geopolitical tensions also took a toll on the stock markets. All the major stock market indexes down again today, although well off the lows. At one point, the Dow Jones was down closer to 700 points. It paired those losses and ended the day down 482 points but still a 1.4% drop for the Dow Jones. Taking a look at the markets from their highs, the Dow is now off 9%. So just on the edge of official correction territory, the S&P 500 crossed over that edge today. 
It is now down 10.7% from its highs, officially in correction territory. In fact, I said on my podcast that I recorded on Saturday that I thought the market would fall into correction territory this week. And in fact, we did it on the first trading day of the week. The NASDAQ composite is now down 17.3%, so getting dangerously close to an official bear market. In fact, far closer to a bear market than a correction. The Russell 2000 just on the edge of bear market territory, down 19.5%. Remember, the Russell was down 20% at one time before we got a rally off the lows. And now we are sinking back into bear market territory. I believe that we'll be back in a bear market in the Russell 2000 this week. Now, that's not much of a call given that we're only 5% away. In fact, I think there's a pretty good chance that the NASDAQ will join the Russell in bear market territory before the end of this week. But I think for most American investors, it already feels like a bear market, even though we're not in one, because most Americans don't own these indexes. They're not in the Dow Jones or even the S&P 500. They're in a lot of these momentum stocks that lost their momentum. They own stuff like the Kathy Wood Arc Innovation Fund, which got clobbered again today, down another 2.18%. New low for the move. The shares closed 57.6% below their record highs. Of course, cryptocurrencies also had a pretty bad day. Shares of the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust were down just over 5% on the day. That trust now down 56% from its highs, almost matching the decline in the ARK Innovation Fund because just like all the stocks in the ARK ETF, Bitcoin is a risk asset. In fact, it is the riskiest asset of them all. That's why it acts opposite of gold. Gold was up today. In fact, overnight, gold got to about 1914 before reversing and gold end up finishing the day down about 1898.50 or so is where it is down about four or five bucks it actually had a close above 1900 yesterday but of course the U.S. market wasn't really open yesterday so I'm not sure that it counted but gold trades pretty much all over the world and so while we were enjoying Washington's birthday rebranded as President's Day while the rest of the world was still trading gold and it was trading above 1900. Silver, though, still managed to finish the day positive. In fact, it finished the day above $24 an ounce. The star of the day, though, I think was nickel as far as metals are concerned, making a very big move. But again, all of these commodities are going to be moving up. Precious metals, industrial metals, agriculture, energy, all of it's going up. The noise that's happening with Russia and the Ukraine is just noise. Again, the real music that everybody is marching to is inflation. And in fact, even though the markets were down today and the catalyst for today's decline was the increasing geopolitical tensions, that's not why the markets are going down. The markets would have gone down anyway. If it wasn't the Ukraine, it would have been something else. Not that the Ukraine situation isn't a negative. It is a negative. It's just that it's not the only negative. There's all sorts of negatives weighing down this market. Just that the reporters are always looking for something to blame it on. And so now they're blaming it on what's happening in the Ukraine. I mean, certainly it was a big news story on the day. We did get some economic numbers that were released today, but nothing in particular. I'd say the one standout miss among the data was the Richmond Fed Manufacturing Index. 
that was supposed to come in at a positive 10, and that would have been an improvement on the eight that was recorded in January. The consensus range for the estimates was for the index to be between nine on the low end and 12 on the high end. Instead, we came out at one. So a big miss, Richmond manufacturing coming in much weaker than expected. And again, that's another reason to potentially highlight the predicament of stagflation, which is the Fed's worst nightmare. And the worst thing that can happen to the economy is the economy weakening just as inflation is strengthening. Ka-ching! That's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. So supercharge your knowledge, your sales, and your success for a free 14-day trial. Go to shopify.com gold, all lowercase. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving you the resources once reserved for just the biggest of businesses, and it's all customized for you. With a great-looking online store that brings your ideas to life and gives you the tools to manage and drive your sales, making your idea real opens endless possibilities. In fact, that's one of the things I love about Shopify is it makes it a lot easier for anyone to start up and then successfully run a small business. Shopify powers millions of entrepreneurs from their first sale to full scale. And every 28 seconds, another small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. So get started now and build and customize your online store with no coding or design experience. Access powerful tools to help you find customers, drive sales, and manage your day-to-day. You can gain knowledge and confidence with the resources needed to succeed. Plus, with 24-7 support, you're never alone. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. Anything is possible, and it is powered by Shopify. So go to shopify.com slash gold, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. So start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash gold right now. But regardless of what you're worried about, geopolitical risks or inflation, gold is acting as a safe haven. Gold is acting as a store of value, just like people like me who have advocated for gold ownership have promised. But the opposite is true when it comes to Bitcoin. Bitcoin got killed even more than stocks. In fact, as I'm recording this podcast, Bitcoin is below 38,000. It's around 37,900. Now that's well off the lows of the day. We were down around 36,400 earlier in the day before we got a rebound. We got a rebound in Bitcoin just as we got a rebound in the stock market. And interestingly enough, as Bitcoin was rebounding, gold was surrendering its gains. I mean, you can almost figure out exactly what Bitcoin is doing by watching gold and just do the opposite. So if gold is going up, it means Bitcoin is going down. And if gold is going down, it means Bitcoin is going up. And the same thing the other way. You can look at Bitcoin. If Bitcoin is selling off, probably means gold is going up. And if Bitcoin is going up, probably means gold is going down. Obviously, something that acts as a mirror image of something else is not a digital version of that something else. Bitcoin is not digital gold. It is the antithesis of gold. It's digital anti-gold. So if you think gold is going to go down, well, then maybe you could buy Bitcoin. Or if you think gold is going to go up, maybe you could short Bitcoin. It's pretty much the same trade, except I'd much rather own gold because I have a lot more upside owning gold than being short Bitcoin because all Bitcoin can do is go to zero. Gold can go to infinity, 
you have a lot more upside potential being long gold. The most you can make by being short Bitcoin is 100%. You double your money. But, you know, if I wanted to short gold, I guess I would rather just buy Bitcoin because if you short Bitcoin, the most you can lose is everything, right? 100%. But if you short gold, you can lose a lot more than 100% because there's no upside limit to the price of gold. So you can have a lot of margin calls on a short gold. At least there's a floor to being long Bitcoin and that floor is zero. So if you put up $38,000 and buy one Bitcoin, and it goes to zero, which it eventually will, well, the most you could lose is $38,000. But if you short 38,000 worth of gold, well, you can lose a hell of a lot more than $38,000 if you continuously meet your margin calls. So I think if you wanna short gold, maybe just buy Bitcoin instead, because I think you'll lose less money, but I wouldn't short gold, I would buy gold and completely forget about Bitcoin, which is the subject of a debate that I'm gonna be doing tomorrow actually with a guy by the name of Richard Hart and I want to talk to you a little bit about this upcoming debate if you're not familiar with Richard Hart because I didn't know who this guy was either until they asked me if I would debate him and of course I'll debate anybody right I mean I'll take all comers of course there are a lot of people that are ducking me there are a lot of people like Michael Saylor for example or Michael Novogratz who have been offered several opportunities to debate me. In fact, I've reached out to these individuals myself and they refused to debate me. But Richard Hart reached out to me, wanted to debate me. And I was like, sure, fine, I'll debate you. And then I did a little research and I found out who this guy was. And one of the things that he's done is he's created some of these altcoins. One in particular that I want to discuss right now is this coin called Hex. Because... I think Hex really epitomizes everything that's wrong with Bitcoin and all of these cryptocurrencies, but really highlights it. I mean, it's kind of like Dogecoin was started as a joke to kind of make fun of Bitcoin and the whole idea that it was actually scarce just by coming up with something else that was pretty much just like it and giving it a name like Dogecoin. I think Hex does the same thing, only it dials it up a notch. The thing about Bitcoin is that it has a lot of the characteristics of a Ponzi scheme, a pyramid, or a chain letter. In fact, I think that if you tried to do Bitcoin or any of these cryptos in the form of a chain letter, it'd be illegal and they would arrest you. But somehow, if you take that exact concept of a chain letter and put it on a blockchain, well, all of a sudden it's legal. Right? A blockchain letter is legal, but a regular chain letter where you put something in an envelope and put a stamp on it, well, that's illegal. Well, a lot of people now have this opportunity to basically get away with a crime as long as they put the crime on the blockchain. And that's what I think is going on with Richard Hart and this Hex coin. And in fact, even the name Hex seems kind of appropriate because basically everybody who buys these coins is under a spell. They're under Richard's heart spell. They think they're going to get rich and they're going to go broke. Now, the secret to Bitcoin is the fact that you have all these holders out there, right? People that hold on for dear life and never sell. And that's what helps the price of Bitcoin, A, not to collapse, but B, it's what keeps it going higher is because so many people who own Bitcoin refuse to sell. You know, like my son, Spencer, who's living in an apartment that has no furniture because he doesn't want to sell any of his Bitcoin. So he's got Bitcoin, but he doesn't have a couch. 
I mean, personally, I'd rather have a couch to sit on than a bunch of Bitcoin that you can't do anything with. But, you know, he's brainwashed by the cult of Bitcoin. It would be a sin to sell any Bitcoin. In fact, even if he earns money, he won't use his earnings to buy a couch. He has to use those earnings to buy more Bitcoin because, after all, he can sit on the floor. Why buy a couch when you can give up some sats? Because you know how expensive that couch is going to be when Bitcoin is a million or 10 million and he gave it up just for a place to relax? But I think that this mentality, it's not just my son. There are a lot of other kids that have been brainwashed in this cult and they are holding basically nothing. They've got worthless digital tokens. But because so many people have been brainwashed into holding on to these things, other people who haven't been brainwashed can sell. The people who got in early are selling while the holders are sitting there waiting to be the bag holders. And Hex takes this concept to a whole new level, but it actually takes it to a level that should be so obvious that it's a glaring example of why this whole thing isn't going to work, why the whole thing is basically a pyramid. So the way Hex works is not only are people holding Hex, but they're actually being paid to hodl and they get penalized if they don't. So the system was designed, this guy Richard Hart just created all the coins out of thin air, right? You don't have to mine them, he just creates them. And he gave away a bunch of them for free, but he kept most of them. And I think he owns 88 to 90%. He owns most of these digital coins. And then you've got the rest of them. But he markets it on his website as if it's a CD. It's like the first crypto CD because you're paid interest. If you just lock up your coins, he calls it staking, then you're the one that ends up getting a stake in your heart if you're dumb enough to fall for this. But if you lock up your hex the way you would go to a bank and lock up your money in a CD, right? A certificate of deposit, one year, two year, three years. And generally, the longer you agree to lock up your money, the more interest you're going to get. The same concept applies here, although they start marketing 40% interest, right? Hey, you can get 40% interest on your hex if you lock them up. We're just going to deposit all these additional hex into your account. And so he's marketing it as if it was a CD and you're earning interest on your hex. And the longer you stake your hex, the higher the rate of interest you're going to earn. Except it's not actually interest you're earning because the hex aren't being loaned out. When you go to a bank and buy a CD, you're basically giving your cash to the bank and you're telling the bank, hey, I'm not going to come and take my cash, go out and make a loan. And now the bank makes a loan and they charge the borrower interest. And then they share that interest with you because they're basically taking your money that you entrusted with them. They're loaning it out to some borrower and they're sharing the interest with you. And that's the yield on your CD. So there's actually a third party that is paying the interest that you're earning. None of that is happening with Hex. You just own these Hexes and then magically Hexes appear in your account. They call them interest, but there has been no loan. No Hexes have been earned in that respect where they can pay you interest. Except what they do is they simply create new Hexes out of thin air and distribute those hexes to the people that own them and have locked them up. So it's kind of like a stock dividend or a stock split. Everybody gets more hex, but now the total supply of hex goes up. And so your ownership interest 
doesn't change. Yes, you own more hex, but there are now more hex in circulation. So there's no net gain. You haven't really gained any interest. You just got more hex, but each hex you have has to be worth a little bit less based on the increased total supply that now exists in order for you and everybody else to have more. Now, it's everybody else who stakes their coins. Of course, if you don't stake your coin, then you don't participate in the interest. So there is some dilution of the people who don't stake to the people who do. And in fact, there's one more twist. If you break your stake, so you commit your hex to a particular number of years, and then you end up selling before the end of that period, you actually pay a penalty. You lose. And the penalty that you pay gets redistributed to all the other stakeholders. So if a lot of people break the stakes, then the ones that don't, well, they get even more. So they've built in this huge incentive to hodl. It's not just that it's a cult where people are agreeing not to sell. They're getting paid not to sell. At least they think they're getting paid and they're being punished. They're being penalized if they don't sell. Meanwhile, guys like Richard Hart, he doesn't have any of his coins staked. He's just selling. I mean, he's created this perfect situation for himself where he creates this coin that nobody wants to sell and now he's the only one selling. And now obviously there are some other sellers, other guys that got in really early, right, that are able to sell that aren't dumb enough to actually stake their coins. But meanwhile, this thing is being marketed that, hey, you're going to have all these hexes. Just think about it. If you stake your hexes for 15 years and it keeps appreciating at the current rate, well, you're going to be a multimillionaire after 15 years. No, you're not. I mean, you may have millions of hex, but they're going to have no value because eventually you're going to have all these people who have all this hex because the supply kept increasing so the people who were hodling could have more and more and more. But at the end of the day, they're going to have no value. Everything is going to collapse. It's a giant pyramid. The money that people make in hex is specifically going to come from the people who lose in hex. There's no other way to generate a return. Somebody has to lose for somebody to win. And you're going to have a whole mountain of bag holders. And I think ultimately they're going to sue. I mean, if I was Richard Hart, I would be very concerned about the profits I make from this particular business because I think it's going to be easy for the court system to claw back the earnings. You know, just like people who lost money in the Bernie Madoff Ponzi. They sued and a lot of people got money back from the people who made money through the Ponzi because there were people who got back more than they put in and then the people who got back less than they put in sued those people because they weren't paid actual returns. They were paid from the money of the people who lost. And I think that same thing might happen. Now, Richard Hart claims he's a billionaire. Maybe he is. I don't know. I have no idea how much the guy's worth. And I don't know if he's counting the paper value of his hex in coming to that billionaire status. I have no idea. But I would be very careful because I think most of the money, if not all of the money that ends up being made early on could be lost as a result of lawsuits from the people who realized how they got scammed. In fact, if you go to the hex.com website, right on the very top, it says scam and you click on scam and it reads hex is not a scam. Now, I got to tell you something. If somebody's trying to sell you something and part of their sales literature is trying to convince you that what they're trying to get you to buy is not a scam, I got to let you in on a little secret. <laughs> There's a pretty good chance that it is in fact a scam 
Because if something is not a scam, there's no point in telling people that it's not a scam. I mean, it'll be obvious. The reason they have to tell people that it's not a scam is because that's exactly what it looks like. Well, you know, if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And Hex is a duck. The whole thing is a scam. And I think that Hart knows that. To me, he seems like a very smart guy. And he devised a brilliant scheme to basically legally con people out of his money. Read the disclaimer. If you can't tell it's a scam from that, go read the disclaimer and you'll see it's a scam there. Now, people have made money in Hex. Sure. I mean, look at a chart. Hart talks about how much Hex has gone up. You could have bought Hex for under a penny kind of at the end of 2020. By early 2021, it broke a penny, maybe one, two cents or something like that. And it got as high as almost 50 cents in the fall of 2021. Now, as I am recording this podcast, it's back below 15 cents. So people have a 70% drop approximately if you got con in at the high. But still, for the people who got in real early on paper, they still have gains. Now, of course, a lot of people have locked up their hex. They're not going to sell. They're holding them for years and years and years. And so they're going to be holding on to nothing because the only way you make money in hex is if you sell. You don't make money if you hold all because you're going to be left with nothing. The only thing you can do to make money is to sell, but that's the one thing they don't want you to do. They punish you if you sell. They reward you if you don't sell. The whole idea here is instead of proof of work or proof of stake, it's proof of weight. The longer you wait, the more value you have. But what value does waiting have? Just sitting there and waiting doesn't do anything. The only people who are going to benefit from the wait are the people who don't. The people who are selling right now while the bag holders are waiting, they're the ones that are going to make money. But it's the same thing with Bitcoin. You know, it's interesting because a lot of people in Bitcoin, and of course the Bitcoin maximalists in particular, but just in crypto in general, a lot of people feel the same way I do about Hex and about Richard Hart. You know, a lot of people that disagree with me on Bitcoin When I tweeted something about Hex, I got so many people who normally criticize my tweets liking it and agreeing with me because they can see the obvious scam when it comes to Hex. Well, the problem is they can't see the same thing when it comes to Bitcoin because it's the same principle. It's just not as obvious. This is just an even bigger example of the same dynamic. Because in Bitcoin, nobody is being paid to hodl. People are just hodling of their own volition. And of course, Bitcoin proponents at least claim that Bitcoin is money, that it's digital gold, that it's going to replace sovereign currencies. I mean, there's some supposed use case for Bitcoin. Now, it's all nonsense. I don't buy any of it. But at least you have that aspect of it, that it's digital gold. Hex isn't anything. It doesn't have a use. The only use is you hold it and wait. It's all about the price, which makes it the perfect pyramid, the perfect Ponzi. So it just shines a huge light of truth on the whole crypto marketplace. I mean, there's 18,000 of these cryptocurrencies now. Hex is just one of those. But once you strip away all of their use cases, all of the marketing gimmicks, all of their armies of devotees who are constantly pumping them up, They're all the same thing. It's all nothing. 
and the only people who are going to make money on crypto are the people who get out, the people who sell, the people who got in early and who are selling now. And you've got all these people that keep on pointing out how I'm wrong, right? I've been talking about Bitcoin in the bubble and it's going down. Bitcoin was almost 70,000 and now it's under 38,000. But I'm still wrong because years and years ago, it was lower. Well, that's true, right? If you're simply going to judge my credibility on Bitcoin by saying where it was 10 years ago, hey, Bitcoin was a dollar and now it's 38,000, therefore you're wrong. If that's the case, well, when Bitcoin is $10, You can say the same thing. Hey, it's 10 times what it was. It's still the best performing asset. It's a 10 bagger. You could have bought it at a dollar and now it's worth $10. Yes, that's true. But how many people bought it at a dollar? I would already say right now that most people who own Bitcoin are losing money because most people didn't buy it 10 years ago. They bought it last year and they're getting killed. And I think a lot of people who did buy it 10 years ago, they put their lunch money in there. They didn't put a lot of money. That's what hooked them in. They gambled a little bit of money and then they won and now they got excited and now they took out a mortgage on their house. People have put much more serious dollars into Bitcoin in the last year or two than they ever did five or 10 years ago. So they put small amounts of money in when it was cheaper. They put big money in at a higher price. And then when the price crashes, even if they still have a profit on what they bought early, they have a huge loss on what they bought late. In fact, most people who own Bitcoin are losing money. Even at today's $38,000 price tag, they're losing money. Well, imagine how much more money they're going to be losing when it's $10,000 or $5,000 or $1,000. And pretty soon, you're not going to have to imagine that because that's going to be a lot of people's reality. And it is going to be a brutal awakening. And I don't know if these people are going to ever come to their senses. Are they going to be like Kathy Wood? When she's asked about her stocks that are down 70, 80%, Kathy, do you really think these stocks are going to make new highs? And absolutely, absolutely. So are the Bitcoin devotees going to be the same when Bitcoin drops from 69,000 down to 10,000? And you're going to ask them, do you really expect Bitcoin to make a new high? Absolutely, absolutely. They'll be convinced. And then what happens when it goes to 1,000? Are they still going to have those same lofty expectations? Are they still going to think I'm wrong? Because after all, it's a thousand. It's way up from where it first started. None of that stuff counts. Forget about what happened when it was during the early stages. Forget about those first five or six years. It doesn't matter unless you owned it at that time. What matters is what's happening now. You know, there's a song, What Have You Done For Me Lately? And if you apply that to Bitcoin, the answer is nothing. In fact, you know what Bitcoin has done for people lately? It's lost them a lot of money. And it's ultimately going to lose people a lot more than money. It's going to cost them their reputations. Some of the people on Wall Street, some of the people in hedge funds that actually bought into this nonsense, and they're going to end up losing a lot of money, and their reputations are going to go down with them. And a lot of these financial networks that put so much stock into crypto and Bitcoin and devoted so much airtime to pumping it up, they're also going to lose a lot of credibility when everything comes crashing down. But if you want to hear this debate, I'm going to be doing the debate tomorrow. But the main reason that I agree to do any of these debates is I feel badly that so many people have bought in to this whole crypto illusion, including my own son, which shows you just how powerful it is. 
if somebody like my own son can be taken in by it. And so I want to do whatever I can to try to wake people up while they still have time with mixed feelings, because I know that anybody who sells, that means it's somebody else's problem who bought. But of course, the sooner this bubble can break, the less money other people will lose. The whales have the opposite agenda. See, they've got all this Bitcoin and they want to keep it going so they can sell. The longer they can keep the bubble inflating, the more people they can sucker in and get to buy, the more Bitcoin they get to unload. So the sooner this thing crashes, the better, because that just means the whales get to cash out with less real money. But that means other people aren't fooled into taking their real money and buying fake money marketed as Bitcoin. (music) 